Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Eric Boyette, who is the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation. Uh, Eric assumed that job in February of 2020. So you're into that job now about three years. So let me ask you this before we talk about uh, aviation, which is one of the areas of your concern. Uh, what has what have been the biggest surprises once you got into office that you uh, found out uh, that perhaps maybe you didn't know when you took that job? What 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 have been your surprises? That's a great question. Um, so I'll tell you, you know, I was on the job for two weeks uh, and we were the department was in a, you know, we were not doing good financially. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, the gas taxes, you know, was our friend. And we we went through COVID with the shutdown. So nobody was driving. So our you know revenue really plummeted. Um, so those you know two to four weeks were really tough on the agency to look at revenue and how do we continue our programs. So that was something I wasn't really uh, planning on and kind of kind of caught me off guard. Um, but you know the thing about transportation is we're very uh, resilient and we come back strong uh, with a great team. But I think that's probably going to be the one that you know I wasn't expecting. Um, but you know we we persevered and we made the right decisions and we we planned accordingly and we are we are very strong today because of that well covid was an interesting thing for all of us in uh I mean, almost every industry almost every business almost every school system and so forth we learned some great lessons out of covid as well as uh, how to make some changes that were necessary because of it but it was a certainly an interesting time and i suspect there will be uh, books written on the effect of COVID and, and how it's changed the way we operate, not only in government, but also in private business. So COVID was uh, a chapter of our lives that we weren't expecting, but happened. Yes, sir. Let's, let's turn now to uh, aviation. Uh, aviation, of course, <laughs> we like to think that aviation started in North Carolina. And, <laughs> There are those who uh, uh, claim that uh, also, by the way, broadcast started in in, in North Carolina. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Harold uh, of uh, Fessington, but Fessington invented essentially what has become modern uh, over-the-air broadcasting, uh, over-the-air transmission of sound, and he did his experiments at the same time period that the Wright brothers were doing theirs on aviation. And they were only four miles apart. Oh, and wow. interestingly enough, the uh, the uh, Department of Archives uh, know uh, that uh, they became friends and they exchanged Christmas cards. Uh, so, Fessington, who invented uh, modern communications, and the Wright brothers, who invented aviation, all had their roots in the same general area in the same time period. I think that's an interesting story. It is. Well, anyway, let's talk about aviation. And we've got a couple of different kinds of aviation in North Carolina. We have the big airports, and then we have uh, each each individual area has airports. So uh, what is your area of responsibility as Secretary of the Department of Transportation in the aviation area? So we own uh, we own two aircraft here for the department and you know we do a lot of drone activity too um, for our agencies and for our 
uh, units here in North Carolina with our department. But, you know, when what we do with our individual to 72 public airports, uh, you know, we partner with them. Uh, we have grant opportunities for them and our municipality, our municipal airports. So if we looked at, you know, just what the impact of aviation has been in our partnership, you know, it, it creates over almost 400,000 jobs. There's, you know, a great uh, amount of funding that you see or revenue that's generated. Economic impact is over $60 billion a year. So just that, part, you know, that personal touch that we have uh, with our aviation directors and our contact there is really helpful. Um, you know, we our, our aircraft are used. Um, we have a plane that we use to fly photogrammetry. It helps us before and after storms. Uh, we use that for some of our other uh, agencies. We help them with anything that they need. Uh, we also, you know, we we fly some of our staff and some of other agency staff uh, to different areas as needed. So we have a you know kind of a, a twofold role. Um, and then we've got you know our unmanned program that we're working on. You know that next chapter of what does aviation look like you know, beyond, you know, the next 15, 20 years. So we're trying to lean in on that and lead. We were the first uh, state to actually do a test flight for an unmanned uh, aircraft. And we're, we've always been leaders in our, U, in our UAS program, especially on our, um, our drone. We do uh, some activities around um, bridges doing inspections now. We've got what's called a beyond approval. So we can look beyond a lot of sight uh, when we're doing inspections around bridge abutments and things like that. So you don't have to have traffic control on that bridge uh, with lane closures um, and you don't have any you know, worry about uh, work zones and any accidents happening. Uh, so we've got that done with a drone now. We're doing some of that. A lot of activity around the drone industry right now. Good partnerships there with our with our um, with the industry. I've read a lot of situations where people like Amazon are looking at deliveries to the home by drones. Mm -hmm. uh, who's going to control that if and when that comes down the line? Because, uh, uh, you know, in all honesty, it sort of scares me to have unmanned aircraft flying around. And they and we do that now. We've partnered with um, with Flytrex and some other companies. Uh, they're doing deliveries um, in in a few of our uh, municipality areas. They'll do food deliveries. Um, they're doing some package deliveries. And we actually started during COVID. We did some testing of you know the COVID test and things like that. We were flying that for some municipalities with some partners. So. When one of the things that we tested also was, you know, during emergencies, you know, we mentioned our ferry system, you know, and how they're important chain between, you know, barrier islands, you know, what happens when they can't get there? So one of the things we tested was, you know, taking one of our drones and flying emergency goods over to the barrier islands and how would that work? So we've done some tests like that and it's been really good uh, on, on how, you know, but the federal government really in the end is going to be there. You know, it's their FAA, it's their airspace. Um, but, you know, we partner with FAA very closely and um, we we consider you know ourselves to be in, in a good standard, and a great standard with them on, on how we're managing the program and what we do. Uh, you, we talked earlier, we mentioned the global transport, and it struck me when we were talking about it that a lot of people may not know the origins and the 
goal of establishing the trans park. How about bringing us up to date a little bit for those who may be new to North Carolina about the idea of the global trans park in uh, in Kinston and and because uh, uh, we kind of skipped over that when we were talking about it, so it might be a good lesson for those who are new to the state to understand what that uh, that uh, concept is. Sure. So it's a it's a two thousand about two thousand five hundred acre um, park that is it's multimodal. So if you look at it, it's an industrial park and an airport. Uh, it offers you know access for air, rail, highways, um, and two of our international ports that we've got uh, that we didn't talk about yet, but we can. Um, but it's it's definitely you know more of a pro by, uh, business climate where. A lot of our industries like aerospace, logistics, um, manufacturing, emergency services, that's where uh, we were trying to look at how do we blend that, you know, all together when you're very close to interstates 95 and 40 um, in the future, I-42, U.S. 70. Um, So all of that blending together and on the eastern side of North Carolina. And, you know, for us, it's been a it's been a good win on the military investment that we're making, the partnerships there we have. And it's growing, you know, the manufacturing side is what we're seeing now. Interesting. Uh, and uh, I think uh, generally speaking, that prog- as we said earlier, that that uh, uh, the progress on that has been a little slower than people expected, but it still has a bright future. And, and I think it's something that can be really great for North Carolina because it allows a company to be able to fly right up to their, their open to their plant. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Any manufacturing facility they need, um, you know, it, it's, it's a great opportunity. Um, and we're seeing a lot, you know, because there's room there, like I say, with 2,500 acres, um, there's a lot of growth potential there. Um, new hangar construction, uh, they're the things that we're seeing now that people, you know, are looking for, to your point, um, to come in, you know, have goods locally drop there. And then they may, you know, they may ship them out of rail, they may ship them out, you know, through truck, but it's a great, uh, great opportunity there for us. You mentioned future interstate highways. I, from time to time, as you're riding around, you'll see a sign that says "future I whatever." Uh, tell me what that means, and how long will it be before those are brought up to interstate standards? So it depends. Um, so the reason how the designation happens is we look at that corridor um, and we request it to be identified um, through. Um, our association of highways, of highways or ashto uh, association we have to have approval from ashto and our federal partners on that future designation and you know it could be it depending on where that uh, program is or that road network is in our stip our capital program you know that's where it depends on how long it'll be before we have to upgrade it to interstate standards. So that's why it says future, because it currently is not at interstate standards. So we have to move that roadway up to interstate standards. So um, interstate standards would mean no stoplights. And, uh, at, and no, no at grade, yes, sir. No at grade intersections, no signals. You want everything to to flow very smoothly. Uh, and just, you know, that's that's the main, that's a great way to, to phrase it. So that's, uh, that's going to be expensive bring some of those up uh you're gonna have a lot of interchanges to build bridges and so forth and some of them are some of them really yeah. are 
you, you know, we always have to look at our environmental issues that we have around and make sure we're, we're being very, you know, environmental friendly and what we do and safe. Um, but some of the interchanges we can, you know, can close and some of them we do have to either build, um, you know, full interchanges or we bridge uh, the route over. So one of the two, uh, you know, are the way that we upgrade those standards. And you also mentioned the word ports a little earlier. We have two ports that are of importance, and they are very important to our economy. Port at yep. Morehead City and the port at Wilmington. We also have an inland uh, port in Charlotte. So we have a, a Charlotte inland terminal that is considered a port. So all three of those are part of our North Carolina port system. An inland port? Tell me about that. I've never heard of an inland port. Yes, sir. So we have a, a port, uh, inland port in Charlotte. So basically it's a rail. If you think about it, it's a large rail facility that often onloads uh, these you know, containers that we're seeing, you know, moving cargo back and forth. So it's a great you know, part of our investment here in North Carolina. But, you know, we see about four million tons of general cargo a year going through our port system. And about a thousand ships a year call on our ports. Um, and we're seeing, you know, one of the biggest increases on, you know, our port system that we've ever seen. And we set capacity records the past few years. And we're seeing a lot of investment, too. We're investing a lot in our ports. And we're seeing a lot of return on that investment. And it's just really great to see what we do each and every day. Now, the port at Wilmington is still big, much bigger than the port in uh, Moorhead City. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That is correct. We're, we're adding on and to both locations, the one in Moorhead, we're adding uh, square footage for uh, some warehousing there. And the one in Wilmington, we are actually, we've done a new gate operation system and we're actually moving the gate to a different location further down for a little easier in and out for our trucking industry. And of course, Wilmington has an, an interstate highway right up to it. So that makes that one uh, uh, very important to our state's economy. Well, interesting. We've got one more segment. We want to talk about the General Assembly and what they are looking at as far as uh, how to fund all these projects and what other projects they might have in mind. Uh, as we talk with our guests, the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation, Eric Boyette. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. 10 years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing the educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT G-O-A-T Acronym Stands for Greatest of All Time As in Spaghetti Sandwiches for Dinner They're my fave Dad You're the GOAT You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same 
visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Eric Boyette, uh, the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation, is our guest. So we talked about uh, transportation covers so many areas. It covers not only uh, aviation, uh, highway system, ferries, rail, public transit, bicycle, pedestrian transportation, and so forth. Um, so, and also the Department of Motor Vehicles, which we didn't talk about, which is also very important. But Eric, uh, one of the things that you do so often is you you spend time at the General Assembly. They are in session. They're looking at legislation and they're looking at your funding. So bring us up to date on exactly where you stand as far as new legislation and also uh, how you stand on uh, your budget request. Absolutely. Yes, sir. We've, uh, you know, we've, we, we stay in touch with our general assembly members uh, almost daily uh, during this time of year. And uh, we are the budget, the house budget rolled out the governor's budget. We had, um, you know, some increases in things we needed there and the house budget came out and really did a great job for us on what we call general maintenance reserve or GMR, which if you look at, you know, we talk about our capital program and how many roads we're going to build and the, the things that we're looking for, like we talked about earlier about new roads. But we also have to think, you know, if every new road we build, we also need to have money to maintain that road. And that's what the GMR fund does for us. Um, and, you know, Representative Jones, Brendan Jones and his team really uh, helped us a lot on that and resurfacing the items that, you know, we need uh, to keep our road system, the great road state. Uh, so that's been very positive. Um, we, you know, as with everything, uh, and now it is, you know, in the Senate's hand for them to uh, have their their transportation budget come out, and we're eagerly awaiting that. Uh, we've had good conversations about, you know, what our needs are there, and, um, you know, we, we've got a great partnership there with uh, Senator Tom McGinnis and, Senator Vicki Sawyer and Senator Mike Lazara um, and Senator Bill Raven. And just, you know, how, you know, what transportation is doing today, what we need to be doing, where we, you know, where can we move um, based on the funding levels that we need to operate um, each and every day. We talked about, you know, our population growth and we all know that, you know, our roadways are, will become more strained as we see those 14 you know, million people in 2050. And we've got to prepare today for that because, you know, our roadways, unfortunately, they don't get built in one year. It takes time. Um, and, you know, we've got a plan today for that future. So what are some of the major projects that you uh, have on, on schedule and uh, what will they serve? Uh, when will they start? Will, when will they be finished? Oh, wow. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Yeah, that is. Uh, I, I, there's, we have, uh, we have about a 32 billion, 30, excuse me, $37 billion worth of projects, um, in our draft step this year. So, uh, I don't know that I can tell you each and every one of them. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but we have, what I'll tell you we do is we work with our MPOs, the Metropolitan Planning Organizations and the Rural Planning Organizations on their needs. You know, they actually plan and tell us um, what their needs are. And then together we prioritize and work through that list. And, 
that's where, you know, we really get involved. But we always, you know, it's not a transportation decision on what people need in their areas. We've made sure through our, our STIP and our STI laws that, you know, it is a local decision. Um, there's some things going on, you know, where the locals always get that decision. That MPO team and RPO teams are the ones that make those decisions. We're here to make sure we execute on their needs. Um, and that's where, you know, the partnership is so critical for us. Let's talk a little bit about toll roads. I guess you would have to say that North Carolina has put their toe in the water as far as toll roads. What's been our experience so far, and do you see a future for more toll roads in North Carolina? You know, we've got three facilities now with Monroe, uh, 77 Express Lanes, and the Triangle Expressway. Um, and, you know, during COVID, just like everywhere, they, we did see a, a dip in uh, revenue there. But honestly, they, they are back very strong, um, and the facilities are in great shape. I think that's one thing that you know, as you mentioned, you know, we're, we don't have a lot of toll roads, but I think now people are realizing that, you know, the fares, you know, the fees that they're paying, the toll, you know, fees that we pay, they're not exorbitant. And they know that, you know, they will be, they will be moving versus sitting in traffic. And I think people are realizing that, you know, for two or three dollars, five dollars, um, for me, it may be worth it to pay to get in that lane and move versus sit still. But, you know, it is still, you know, something new to North Carolina, honestly. And when we talk about tolling in the different areas, uh, sometimes it's not, you know, it's not <laughs> well received. But what we try to do is put all the tools on the tool, on the, in our toolbox on the table so that they know every option they have. Um, and we do get some unsolicited proposals from time to time. We've had unsolicited, unsolicited proposals for um, I-77 South and also for, a replacement of the Wilmington Bridge every Cape Fear. So both of those, you know, could be tow options. Um, and, you know, 77 South will be because it's in our STIP program as a uh, toll road. But, you know, it depends on how you want to look at the toll delivery. Um, but it, it's an, uh, it is a, a tool in our toolbox. And, you know, we, we're glad we have the, all the tools we have. What are the... Uh projects in mind for I-95 in North Carolina? Yes, right now we have uh, we have a project going on in the southern part of our uh, state uh, where we're doing uh, for resiliency. Uh, we're widening and elevating 95 uh, through Cumberland, part of Johnston, and further down south, um, widening uh, that section of roadway and also elevating it, like I mentioned, because we did have, during Florence, we had uh, major flooding issues in that area. Uh, so trying to be resilient when we build that roadway back, uh, that was part of a, a grand opportunity and part of our, our, our funding here we have within the state. Uh, so uh, with 82,000 miles of roads that, are, that you're taking care of uh, and 16,000 bridges, which will wear out from time to time and need to be repaired, uh, have you looked, uh, I'm sure you have, uh, I don't know if you got the number I'm going to ask you about, but have you looked at what our uh, bill is going to be for the next 20 years as far as how much money we're going to have to spend to maintain these 82,000 miles uh, and the 16,000 bridges? Yeah, it, 
we don't plan, you know, for the dollar amounts for a 20 year out. Honestly, what we try to do is, you know, we we have an allocation that we receive from the General Assembly on our you know, our maintenance budget for those items for bridge and for uh, just our general maintenance reserve for, for roadways. And what we do, we look at, you know, we have what's called a pavement condition survey that we have completed. And we rank those those routes in that order, and that's how the repaving uh, factor happens. And you know, we look at you know what what we have and what we need. But the the problem we we have is you know we we really can't you know we can't predict all those maintenance needs. So what we do, we take the funding we have and we apply that to the needs we know we have. And make sure we're spending those dollars efficiently um, and in the best way for the taxpayers. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to get a little bit more clarification on it. Um, the cars that use gasoline, of course, are paying in by gasoline tax per gallon. How are you going to tax the people who have EV cars, electronic cars? Yeah, that's a, I think that's the... Uh, that's a $20 million question that nobody can answer. Um, all of our states are looking at that. We've, you know, we're part of a, a coalition uh, with other states, uh, the Transportation Coalition, Eastern Transportation Coalition, where, you know, we've piloted things like um, mileage-based user fee to see, you know, how would that work? Uh, we've had citizens volunteer, you know, and they can see what those differences are. And then, you know, we, We've done different things, you know, looking at the future, uh, talking to our partners, talking to our, you know, electricity, you know, the co-ops, um, our, our power you know, partners and what they see coming. And then also the private industry. What, what does private industry see? You know, you got to think it's hard to believe, but you think back during horse and buggy, they didn't have gas pumps. So now we're trying to re-visualize re that as, okay, now we don't have as many electric charging stations as we need. So what, what do we need to do to do that? Just like they did around, you know, the gas stations as we see today prevalent. So that's the things that we're trying to do and partner with our private industry on what does that look like, need to look like for us for the future. Of course, uh, we, we talk about, I think most of us think about uh, automobiles as being vehicles, but we also of course have a tremendous amount of freight being moved by by truck and uh, the trucking industry. And so they become very, very interested in all these issues. Uh, and I guess that's going to get even greater as we grow into that population range of 14 million that you talked about by the year 2050. Yes, sir, it is. And and we're, you know, we have a great association, trucking association here in North Carolina that we meet with um, and talk through you know, issues they're seeing. We talk about the future of transportation and what what we see. So it goes back, I think for me, it, it's the the big thing for us is to have great partnerships because, you know, we don't sell cars. We don't, you know, we don't really technically build roads. Um, and we have to be good partners and we have to have good partners to, for our citizens to be successful. And that's what we do each and every day. And that's what we have to continue to do in the future, especially with our, you know, if you look at the cargo that's going to have to be moved uh, either by rail by truck or by plane, you know, we've got to be there and be that partner on all those modes. Well, Eric, we've got about a minute and a half, and I'm going to ask you to 
give me the top five projects or priorities that you have on your calendar as you will go to work, say, tomorrow morning. Uh, what are the top five things on your agenda? So I think for me, the first one's always safety. Safety is number one with, with us, with the department. Um, we always you know, create safer environments and continue to look at new ways to create safer environments. The second is going to be funding, uh, especially right now with our General Assembly partners in town. That's, that's going to be number two for me. Uh, and I think the third is customer service. Uh, we, we didn't talk about DMV, but, you know, that's one, uh, one of our units that, you know, we're trying to make some changes there and increase our, our customer service side of the house. Um, and then I'm going to say it, and Donya, I think I've said it a hundred times, but I don't know if I can say it 120 times. It's still that important for me is partnerships. We have to have great partnerships to be successful. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. And just, you know, I think the fifth one would be, you know, have patience. I think for me, that's something I've had to learn the older I get. I've got to figure out ways to be more patient. Um, it's hard to do, but I think that's what I try to do each and every day as my as I grow older. Well, that's like the person who prays for patience. And he says, uh, give me patience and give it to me right now. Yes, sir. <laughs> I think we all have that problem. Eric, thank you so much for sharing with us. Eric Boyette, the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation, has been our guest. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com or if you'd like to share it with a friend. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. And uh, our program has been produced by Jason Cock, and he'll have another guest for us next week. So until next week on the same group of stations, Hope you and yours have a very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.